I ain't never got an amen on that one. And they were, they, they were tired of the cold. It was just too cold. And so the wife said, we need to move to something a little bit more warm and cozy. And so the husband said, you know what? I'm going to go to my meeting in Chicago. And then after I finish my meeting in Chicago, I'm going to go ahead and fly down to Florida and find us a place. I'll call you or send you an email when I get it done, and, and, and we'll just go from there. So he goes to his business trip in Chicago. He flies down to Florida. He finds a place and sends his wife an email. The problem was the email, the address in the email got mixed up and went to a little old lady in Iowa whose husband had just passed away. A little old lady in Iowa was just doing her normal routine and she checks her email and she screams and she faints. The granddaughter runs in and says, Grandma, what's wrong? What's wrong? She looks at the email and then she sees it. The first line reads, Hey, honey, just want to let you know that I've arrived safely. <laughs> the second line reads, I can't wait for you to meet me down here tomorrow. <laughs> P.S. It sure is hot down here, so I want to make sure. I want to make sure this, this comes across clearly that you're paying attention because you don't want to mess up a man's legacy. Okay? Because men are energized by how, what, how they live and what will be left behind. So I want to talk to you this morning about a man named Noah. You know him well. Noah is a beast now. God called him to build something. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 6 verse 14. And I'll get to this verse and really spell it out at the end of our time. But I want you to see what he was called to build. Genesis 6.14 simply says this. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms. You shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms. You shall cover it inside and out with pitch. That verse is a beast. You don't know why yet? We're going to get there in a second. Noah was a man, evidently, who was called to build. As men, I don't know if you know it or not, but we get stirred up when it comes to building or erecting something. <laughs> These guys. We're at Pine Cove. <laughs> when it comes to building something, that's what we are called to. We are men. We want to build a life. We want to build a legacy. We want to build a career. We want to build a family. We want to build things up. Because that's what we are called to. That's what energizes us. Noah was a man who was called to build, but notice he wasn't called to build for himself. He was called to build for the progression of the kingdom of God. Be careful as you build what you're building that you're building what you're building with the right intentions. Because like we talked about last night, legacies are easily forgotten when men are building for the human trinity and not the spiritual one, me, myself, and I. 
My dad taught me that when I was young. He was saying, don't be like a rotten fruit that's eating itself because you're living your life for yourself. But you want to build what you're building for the progression of the kingdom of God. That you want your intentions to be as I build my family, as I build my career, as I build whatever it is that God has called you to build, that you're building it with his kingdom in mind. Because if you build it with you in mind, it'll last as long as you last. But if you build it with God in mind, it'll last as long as he does. That's why we're still talking about Noah. I got him in Genesis chapter 6 and on, and I've got him in Hebrews chapter 11, because Noah was building a legacy that we can all hang our coattails on. I'm encouraging you men just simply based on this, not to climb the ladder of success, only to get to the top of it and realize the whole time it was leaning on the wrong wall. Noah was a man who was called to build, but it doesn't start out with what Noah built. It starts, it starts out with the environment that he was called to build in. See, Genesis chapter 6 is a wicked environment. It was the environment of the Nephilim, that is, demons who have infiltrated men, and men had relations with women giving birth to an evil race. And it says in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6 that every intention of the heart of the thought of man was evil continuously. And God was sorry that he had ever made man on the earth. You know, that's a wicked culture if it makes God sorry. Every intent of the thought of the heart of man was evil continuously. I'm noticing that this chapter is talking about, when it talks about an evil culture, it's not simply talking about what they were doing, it's talking about the intentions behind what they were doing. In other words, God's standard of righteousness is a whole lot higher than we think it is. He's not simply looking at your external actions, he's looking at your internal intentions. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 23 when he's addressing the Pharisees and he's saying, you're righteous on the outside, but you're a viper on the inside because your heart and what you're doing are two totally different things. The problem we have with a whole lot of men is that they are religious in their activities, but they're snakes in their intentions. They love their wife religiously, but not literally. They react on their children instead of correcting their children. It may look the same, but it's not the same. You're building a career using God's name while leaving him out while you build it. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a pretty snake before. I have. I've seen a pretty snake. I went to the zoo, and I saw one of those albino snakes, you know, the ones that are like yellow and white. And I told my kids, I said, look, you see how pretty that snake is? They were like, yeah, ooh, that's pretty. That's awesome. That's a pretty snake. You want to go play with it? No. Why don't you? Get closer. You don't want to go play with the snake? Look how pretty it is. They were like, yeah, it's pretty, but it's still a snake. I know we're at Pine Cove, but I visit Pine Cove. I don't play with snakes. There's a lot of men today who were pretty on the outside but they're vipers on the inside. And when he's talking about your intentions, he's talking about a whole nother level of spiritual growth. That you can't just be satisfied doing the right things, but actually in your intentions and your heart, be the right that you're doing. 
that God is calling us to a whole nother standard of spiritual growth. Transformation and not conformity. Be transformed by the inside so that your output can be what's really on the inside or inside of you. He's calling you to actually relating to him in righteousness and not being satisfied with simply being blameless before men. We've got a lot of men who will dress nice in church but are wicked at home. And he's saying, man, I'm sorry that I ever made them on the earth. In other words, they can can expect to experience my wrath in their circumstances and situations, not my favor. Noah was a man who was called to build in a wicked environment where every intention of the thought of the heart of those men was evil continuously. And he didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about what they were doing. He just spent a whole lot of time talking about what they were thinking. Now, this is a little bit more of a challenge because it's not just about your output. It's about what's in your heart. You want to relate to God in such a way that your heart is changed, and through that, you are changed. I don't know if you ever heard how popcorn pops, but I was popping popcorn one day, and I've got a philosopher as a dad, and he asked me, hey, son, do you actually know how popcorn pops? I was like, I don't care. I just want to eat it. He said, let me tell you how popcorn pops. I was like, okay, great philosopher. (laughs) Tell me how popcorn pops. He said, in each kernel of corn, there's moisture. When you put the kernel of corn in the microwave, you heat it up. The moisture inside of the kernel of corn becomes steam. Steam rises. When the steam that has risen presses against the shell, The hard shell on the outside can no longer handle what's going on on the inside. And then because of that uh, microwave circumstance that it's been placed in, all of a sudden you hear pop, 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 pop going on because what is happening on the inside is so great that the external shell can no longer handle it. I said, oh, Tony Evans, that was a good one. I think I'll steal that. God is saying, I want you to relate to me in such a way that when you come into the microwave of a a relationship with me, your spirit will begin to press against your soul. The change in your soul based on your spirit will then make its way through its body and the world will see a whole lot of popping going on. Because men at this conference are not just concerned about going home and doing the right things. You'll get tired very easily doing that if you haven't been changed on the inside. He's saying this is a whole nother standard. I'm looking at your heart, not just your output. You know, when I was 11 years old, that was the first time I dunked. Yep, I'm telling you I was a beast. (laughs) Seriously, it was the first time I dunked, I grabbed the ball, I dribbled it, jumped off two feet, boom! I said, ooh, I gotta go show my daddy this one. I went to his office. He was reading a book like he always does. He reads a book a week by practice. I read two pages and my eyes are watering. Uh, He had his pen in his mouth. He was looking through his book. Um, He was excited uh, uh, about his reading study time. And I came and broke through the door of his office. And I said, Dad, I dunked. He said, (laughs) kept reading. I said, no, you don't understand. I dunked. I just dunked. For the first time, you know I've been working on it. I just dunked. He said, you ain't dunked. You're 11. I said, you should be excited. Beat your test. You got a son who's 11 who just dunked. Get excited. 
Come see me. I got to show it to you. So he reluctantly came over. He put his pen in his mouth. He widened his stance and crossed his arms, and he watched me. I grabbed the ball. I centered up, took a few dribbles, ran the rest of the way, jumped off two feet, boom, and then looked at him like this. He was still standing there, not smiling, not happy, not clapping, not anything. I said, Dad, <laughs> Coach Pearson was in the gym, who was our gym manager. He said, Coach, can you get the tools that are needed to take that goal from six feet to 10 feet? He said, son, don't be satisfied dunking at a lower standard. You call me back when you dunk at the standard. And he walked out of the gym. I was like, this dude is a beast. <laughs> so I worked at the standard, age 13, came back, dunked at the standard. But he taught me a valuable lesson, that too many men are okay with dunking at a lower standard and thinking that they're doing something. God is calling us to a whole nother standard of spiritual growth. He's calling us to a whole nother standard and not just going through the motions, but being the motion that we're going through. I mean, actually being that thing. Every intent of the thought of the heart of man was evil continuously, and God was sorry that he had ever made man on the earth. And a lot of men, when they read the story of Noah, they're thinking, man, God is ruthless. How is he going to create, then decreate what he created, pour all this wrath, kill all of these people? Wow, but you've got to really see who God really is. You see, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, he says, My heart will not strive with them for much longer. Yet, I will give them 120 years. In other words, before wrath, there was always grace. He gave them 120 years to make a change. He gave them 120 years to notice what was being built. He gave them 120 years to get on the show. And always in the Bible, you will notice that grace precedes wrath. Men, right now, you're living in the time of grace. Where you get to work on yourself as a man and build an environment that God is calling you to build. Because once that door closes, it's a wrap. There was always a rapture before there was judgment. You know Thessalonians talks about the rapture and that the Christians will be taken out of here and then judgment comes. When Lot was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he pulled them out and then judgment came. Noah, when, when, when he was building the ark, he pulled the righteous out and then judgment came. I hope you're building a righteous environment. And I hope you have met Jesus Christ so that he can pull you out before judgment comes. But while you do so, you're working on who you are as a man. 
that every intent of the thought of the heart of man was evil continuously, and God was sorry that he had ever made man on the earth. This was a wicked environment, and I don't know what culture you live in, but we live in a wicked environment. Why am I telling you that? Simple. Because that was the environment that Noah was called to build in. Noah was not called to wait on a supportive environment before he started building. Noah was called to build precisely because the environment was wicked. So you can't sit in a counseling session with your wife and blame her for the reason why you're not being the man that God called you to be. If that environment is not right, that's the environment you've been called to build in. You can't sit around and blame your kids and blame the boss on your job and get mad at all of these things that are not supportive of what you're called to do and what God has placed you here to do. God has placed you here to do it precisely because of the problem that you're complaining about. And a lot of you have said many times, well, I can't do it because of this. Or I can't be the man that I've been called to be because of this. I can't be the father or grandfather that I was called to be because of this. There are all of these scenarios and nuances that are keeping me from being the man that God has called you to be. Uh, God has called you to be, and God is saying that's why I've called you to be it. Notice that the environment was not cleansed until after Noah built. That God is waiting on you to build the environment that He has called you to build, so that the problem that you're having can be washed away. Noah was a man who was called to build. He was called to build in an unsupportive environment, and this was an environment that God was sorry that he ever had made men on the earth. I mean, it was a bad environment. There are a lot of nuances in this room, a lot of bad situations in this room. I know that people can look pretty on the outside, but if they just opened the door of that closet, a whole lot of stuff would fall out. But I want to encourage you that legacies, listen, there is no football player that makes it to the Hall of Fame because there was no defense. They're given their stats. They're given their, their pedestooling. They're given their eliteness because even though there was a defense, they overcame it. We have too many men that are complaining about the defense. And God is saying, man, run the play. Start building. Complaining is not going to get you the legacy that you have been called to. But because of what you're complaining about, you should see an opportunity to start building something. Each man in this room has been called to build a family. You've been called to build a legacy. You've been called to build a career. You've been called to build a structure for the salvation of your family in a wicked environment. How do you do that? One of the things that my dad did, I want to give you a practical thing that I do now that was taught to me. He said, based on Psalm 128, that a man can lead his family for an hour to an hour and a half a day simply by being at the dinner table. It says, blessed is everyone in Psalm 128. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your hands. It will be well with you and you will be happy. 
Your wife shall become a fruitful vine in your home and your children like olive plants around your table. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there are still olive trees that are pumping out olives over 2,000 years ago. You know why? Because their roots run deep. We have a generation of kids whose roots don't run deep. You know why? Because daddy ain't sitting at the table. Everybody off playing their own video games and looking at their iPads, and they got flat screens in their own, in their own bedrooms. Man, we weren't allowed to do that. We ain't had none of that. Well, it's a different time, but still, he wouldn't have done it today either. We were mad because we were missing our shows, and we were sitting there, and you'd think it was perfect, man. I was throwing food. I was the youngest. I was making a ruckus around there. I was throwing food, pushing people around. I mean, I was just having fun at the dinner table. But Dad would make it a point to sit down Monday through Thursday. Friday, we would go out. He would sit down, and he would ask Priscilla, who are you dating? Who are you talking to? Who are your friends? He would get all in our business, which was his business because we lived in his house. And then... And then he would open up the Bible and he'd have us all go around and read a verse and try to explain to him what we thought that the verse meant, which would often get a reply like, Aunt, now let me tell you what it really means. <laughs> and he would explain that thing and he would go around, then he would have his devotional. Then on Tuesday, it was the same thing. On Wednesday, it was the same thing. We were annoyed as kids. We could, that's the only thing we can talk about as adults. And people always ask, well, how in the world is Priscilla in ministry, Crystal in ministry, Anthony in ministry, Jonathan in ministry? How in the world you? He would tell you, I just sat at the table. God has to do the rest. Because everyone has to come smack dab uh, uh, in front of grace on their own terms, on their own time, because God draws them to himself. But I can be at that table. No, uh, 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 get your tail back over here and sit down at this table. Now, my mom would always cook the meals for two reasons, because my dad couldn't cook, because my dad couldn't cook. <laughs> but he was making sure that the presence of a father was building an environment for the salvation of his family. He worked a lot. He's Tony Evans. He was all over the place. He's flying all over the place. But I don't remember him not being there, even though a lot of times he was not there. Because he made a point to be at the table. We live in a generation now where young people's consciences don't beep. There's no... Back in the day, my dad would walk, he always talked about he'd walk through a metal detector. He walked through the metal detector with his keys in his pocket. Beep, 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 beep. Sometimes he'd fly. He'd walk through a metal detector with his keys in his pocket and wouldn't know, there would be no beep. He'd just get through. You know why? Because magnetometers have different levels of sensitivity that they can be set at. We live in a generation of young people whose consciences don't beat because they've never been set by their fathers. They're, they're building stuff. I mean, they're, they, they got money. They got a career. They got a great job that they're excited about. All the while, the children are being raised as a generation who will not know the Lord. And you just built something that will be washed away. And for those of you without children, it's still like Abraham raised them in righteousness and justice so that I may bring about the promises. And he was called to do that with anyone under the sphere of his influence. If they touched him, they were circumcised, the Bible says. That is, coming under the covenant of God. 
question is, where's your heart at? What are you really trying to get out of this life? What are you really trying to build? What are your intentions? What standard are you really trying to live up to? Or are you going to live your life and God really know your intentions? Me, myself, and I. And he's going to say, mm, I was sorry that I ever made man on the earth. Noah was a man who was called to build the wicked environment. And verse 8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If it wasn't for the righteous man, you and I wouldn't even be here. God would have just wiped everybody out. But when he found that righteous man, through that man, he was able to turn everything around. It's that but. A but is a contrast. That means that now what I'm about to say is different from what I just said. It's a contrast conjunction. Things are about to change now. I wonder if God looks at you and he sees a contrast from the things that he's sorry about. I wonder if when God looks at you, he says, but Sam, but I got John over there, but I got this guy over there. And I know that I can do major things in this wicked environment by what I will call him and call him to build. Because that right there is a righteous man that I can bless my bless his socks off. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because he was a contrast. Verse 9 says, he was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. He gave you three good points right there. He was righteous. That means he looked good to God internally. He was blameless. That means he looked good to men back and forth. He was above reproach. Nobody could get him on anything. And he was both of those things simply because he walked with God. Can you hear me? There we go. Simple question. Are we walking with God? I want you to think about and write down, right now in my life, am I really walking with God? Do I have a relationship with God? Am I with him? Am I putting him first? Or is he just, am I just building while using his name, but I'm not building in his name? And then it says, after all of that evil environment, after all of that intentions and hearts and building where things are bad and kind of putting those things together, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Watch this now. I want you to make this ark with rooms. And I want you to seal it inside and out with pitch. Has anybody been to Kentucky and seen the ark? I took my kids there. That thing is a beast, didn't it? It had plenty of rooms for anybody that wanted to get on it. And quite frankly, if I was a dude out in that culture and I saw those animals lining up two by two, I'd be like, "Uh, Sam, I'll see you later, buddy. I'm going to have to get on this boat. Because this don't make no sense. People ought to look at the men in this room and how we're building and how we're living and say, man, that don't make no sense. But whatever it is, how can I have it too? He said, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make it with rooms. You shall seal it inside and out with pitch. Why is this verse such a beast? 
Simple. The ark represents Jesus Christ. John 10, 9. Anyone who comes through my doors will be saved. So we're supposed to be building an environment of Jesus Christ. Simple. When someone runs into you, they should see that there is an ark available for them to be saved. And if that's not the case, then what are you building? And they should know that this ark has a place for them. John 14, 2. That in my father's house, there are many, many rooms. That he was building an environment that was conducive of anybody who wanted to be, whosoever wants to be saved can come through these doors and you will have a room. And then he says, seal it inside and out with pitch. You know, with pitch, it's like an old school caulking. You want to make sure that the water doesn't get in. The word pitch in Hebrew is kafer. The Hebrew word, the root word of the Hebrew word, you know what that is? So you got pitch, Hebrew, kafer. The root word of the Hebrew word kafer is atonement. Come on, man. He built an ark of salvation. It had many rooms for anyone who wanted to get on and be saved. And then he sealed it with atonement. Ephesians 1.13 says that you, once you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been sealed by the spirit of truth. Romans, 1, Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, man. Noah is a beast because whoever dealt with Noah was sealed from judgment. Now you're building something. Now you're talking. Whoever comes into contact with you, their eternity is sealed from judgment. The waters of judgment were coming, but they weren't getting through that boat. Man, you were called to build, certainly. And I think you ought to be excited about what God has called you to build. I think you ought to do it with passion. I think you ought to run after it. I think you ought to go get it. You're only going to get one chance at it. You might as well be fired up about it. But just make sure that what you are building is an environment ultimately that represents Jesus Christ. Just make sure that what you are building, people know that they are invited to be a part of. And when it's all said and done, they'll be thankful for what you built because they know that when the flood comes, they have nothing to be worried about. Right now, you're in the window of time. You're in the window of grace. You have the opportunity to erect that structure. But once that rain comes, the door is shut. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go back home and start building. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for the story that we all know about with a man named Noah. He built an ark. He made sure that everybody knew that it was going to rain and that there was a place for them. And he sealed it with the atoning work. We pray that the men in this room understand that everything that they're building must be connected to you in order for it to last. Pray for the legacies in this room. We pray for the children 
that belong to these men, the ones that they have under the sphere of their influence that they are influencing, that those people are looking at their life to determine right and wrong. They're looking at their life to determine a lot of things about their life. And a good man thinks about his children's children. We pray, Lord, that we start building. And if we haven't started yet, because we're still here, we pray that we recognize that we still have time. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you, fellas. Appreciate it.